of Hockey Podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Bruce. That was a really, really fine defensive effort by the Edmonton Oilers. Um, a well-deserved victory, 4-2 over the Los Angeles Kings in Game 6, back to Edmonton for Game 7. Earlier today, uh, I predicted a 3-1. I just I was talking to a friend, so mm-hmm. that's the only person who can vouch for it. 3-1 Oilers victory. I, I I did think that they could play the game that they were that they played tonight, and I'm gratified that they did it. It uh, I had you know, that confidence in this team, because they've done it before. They did it consistently under Woodcroft for almost two months, playing solid defensive hockey. And they did it tonight. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I was actually pretty calm uh, throughout this game. And uh, I said to my wife just before it started, you know, after sort of running through the litany that I did in the, in the uh, game day post about the Oilers' record in low scoring and or close games, over the last five years in the playoffs. And I said, I think it'll be a lower scoring game and I think they're going to win. Good. So we both- I just had to get that out there somewhere in the in the public domain so that the bubble could be burst and the Oilers could put that freaking streak to bed. So. <laughs> They've learned some lessons, Bruce. They've learned some lessons. Okay. Two good things, two bad things, two numbers, because it's the biggest win of the year. Mm. Um, we'll go with two good things each. Bruce, why don't I start it off because I'm um, just, you know, in chronological order here. Because my, my good thing is the start of the game. Okay. And in the first period, the, the Oilers absolutely and utterly dominated the Los Angeles Kings. It was as dominant a period as the Oilers, I think, have played all year. They had nine grade A shots on net, on the LA net. Nine. You know, I think their season average per game was like 14. Mm-hmm. per game so nine in one period is pretty darn good the kings had bruce they had we gave them one and, and, a shot. and it was a, it was off the face off it went off chris russell's skate on net they didn't get the other other than that uh, you know a foobar kind of play like that the kings did not have one grade a shot in that entire period and the oilers uh five alarm shots that that period they had five so they, so the score was one nothing but um, the orders were unlucky not to be ahead by two or three goals after the first period yeah. is the truth. Connor McDavid was just a man possessed and um, came out flying all. But it was it was, you know, who knew that all it takes for a good start, Bruce, is to outskate, out hustle and out hit the other team. I guess mm-hmm. outthink them as well. That's all it takes. It's not a, it's not a mystery. And it it is a mystery why the orders why it's taken so long for this particular team this season to figure that out. They finally did in game six. We'll see what happens in game seven, but they came out doing all of those things, you know, instead of the old, you know, what was it in game, not game five, but in game four where they, where they were trying to do this, the stick check and the, Mm -hmm. and the, the Kings were bringing the body check and the Oilers just got flattened. Well, this game, it was the Oilers who were winning consistently winning almost every puck battle in the first period. It was awesome. It was a total team effort and it was fantastic to see. Um, gives me a little bit of, gives me some hope for game seven. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens there, but that was spectacular two-way hockey uh, that the Oilers played that period. 
We'll say. I mean, they outshot the Kings for the first time all series in the first period. It was only 15 to 12, but like you say, we had great A's at 9 to 1, and it really was. I mean, Evan could have put the game away. Jonathan Quick was very good tonight and a little bit lucky, but uh, I mean, there was that one play where they had four golden scoring chances right in a row uh, in front, and he got somehow he got his paddle down on one of them, and, and uh, 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 just. The last one was the one where Yamamoto was sent in and quick lunged out to check the puck off his stick, and that turned into goaltender interference somehow. But uh, uh, let's not uh, dwell on that for now. But uh, it was. That uh, was such a BS call, Bruce. Let's dwell yeah. on it for a little bit, okay? Oh, okay. That was a total I was going to dwell rubbish. on the refs later, but let's do it now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your bad thing? Just well, it's kind of related, but no, yeah. Anyway, that was a that was a bogus call, and there was a few of them. Uh, anyway, and L.A. was so it was carte blanche out there. Anyway, that was uh, it was terrible. McDavid himself, just one player was of the orders nine grade eight shots in the first period. McDavid was in on seven of them, Bruce. Mm-hmm. So this is this series has been. I think uh, McDavid's coming out party in the playoffs. He's been, he's played his best hockey of his career. Yeah. I think in these playoffs, his best two-way hockey. You know, I, I'm going to get to a goal where he and I think he and Drysaddle made a mistake. But other than that play, I thought Connor McDavid was was just spectacular as a two-way hockey player and a driven hockey player driving it. Like it, you know, he's bringing that kind of Bobby Clark. Like you don't like that comparison because you hate Bobby Clark and you think he's a stick man, which is both, which is that's all true. You hate Bobby Clark and he was a stick man, but he wasn't. He he had, and he did hit. He did hit to Bobby Clark. I, I yeah. re-listened to what I said about him and I what I what I meant to say was he didn't hit as hard as Brian Trotche, but he sure did like to hit, and he but he'd hit you with his stick as often as not. So, but he was highly, highly competitive. Uh, Bobby Clark, yeah. there's no denying. And that's yes. why that's how he reminds me of Clark Bruce. Like mm-hmm. Trotchy was more of a smooth player. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess McDavid's awfully smooth too. I mean, he's the smoothest player on earth. But he, he when he gets when he, on defense, when mm-hmm. he plays defense, he reminds me of Bobby Clark when he gets going at it. He gets very intense and stops and starts. Uh, you know, and um, gets his be- ferocious in the battles. He's starting to bring that kind of intensity as a defensive hockey player, and. Um, Take, that, that can take a team, hopefully, to a series victory. Um, it was, it was, it was. His leadership tonight in his play was superlative. I don't know. I, I imagine he'll get a nine out of ten um, in this we'll game. See what but, Kurt uh, has to, we'll see what Kurt has to say. Uh, anyway, let's jump ahead to my good thing, which is Connor McDavid. So we're Sorry kind of, for we're already in the middle of it, but yeah. that's fine. He he really was dominant. Ran for, right from the very beginning on his first shift. He scored a. A fabulous goal on a wraparound play that just he was he outquicked quick around the net and uh, was able to shove it in on on the far side a minute 40 into the game and already it's one nothing Oilers in in a series where the lead still after six games there's been no changing hands there's been games have been tied up but at no point has the team trailed the game and then let it later. And so that first goal, of course, was absolutely enormous uh, tonight. And to get it so early and kind of set the tone was uh, was a, a great start. But David was just all over the ice. And, and uh, as great as he was in the third period of the last game, which was maybe 
best period I've seen him play. Like he was just everywhere. And then tonight, first period, he just picked up where he left off in that uh, last game. And uh, I thought uh, he played a, a fairly large role in willing Edmonton to victory. Of course, he uh, he was on the ice for all four Edmonton goals. He ended up with a goal, two assists, three points, plus three, uh, with the one goal against. Uh, but involved in the in the uh, rush on the game winner, got the secondary assist there, and then on the empty netter, I thought he just made a flat out brilliant play along the sideboards to uh, steal the puck, uh, and steal it, just pick it clean, and come away with it, and then feed it up the boards to Evander Kane, who also had to make a good play to to sort of get by the guy at the blue line. And once he did, he was gone to tuck it in the empty net. But that was, talk about turning defense into offense. That's what McDavid did when he when he stole that puck and uh, quickly got it to a guy who uh, wasn't going to miss the empty net the way Josh Archibald did earlier. Can you believe that Archibald missing it? It was yes. so that was so Archibald. Listen, there's a lot of criticism I understand of Archibald. Mm-hmm. I don't really pay attention to that too mm-hmm. much, but come on. That guy, he was credited with five hits. Like, mm-hmm. I think they could add a zero to the end of it, honestly. Like, he was just, he was blasting the Kings everywhere. Torpedo. He is such a ferocious hockey player. He's a very strong defensive hockey player. Mm-hmm. He's an energy player. I mean, what do you want out of the guy? I guess y- you want more offensive play. and But he is adding offensive play. And in fact, the funny thing about that first period is the, the closest they came to scoring probably was Archibald's wraparound where he, where he slammed it off post. the post. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I, I just want to put in a good word for Archibald there, even though he missed he the was, Yeah, he he was a force. I mean, he, he was just flying around and just to take no quarters. I mean, you get a chance to finish a hit, he doesn't pass any of them up. He was uh, he was labeling guys. Who he really crushed? Who was the guy? He just hammered. Can't uh, just inside the uh, Blake Lazat. Oh yeah, and he just mashed him with a perfectly fair fair hit and this is Blake Lozat that had eight shots on net in game four of the last game in Los Angeles and tonight he had no shot attempts <laughs> and I think uh, Archibald among others t- took him out of the game a little bit I thought that line Bruce of Nugent Hopkins Ryan and Archibald I was glad every mm-hmm. time I saw them on the ice I just thought okay like Nuge is playing some of the best two-way hockey of his career. His he's Nuge is playing his best two-way hockey, and he's been he's a demon on the penalty kill. He's their best penalty killer, and it's not close. Mm-hmm. And um, but that line, um, you know, I've been critical of Nugent Hopkins in the past as a defensive center, not covering off the slot, losing battles down there. Skeptical of him in that role because of it. Um, he is playing. He's just playing outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, fundamental defensive hockey right now, uh, blocking the slot off, always responsible, always take, always down there low, covering that off. And Ryan is a very smart hockey player, and Archibald is as well, and he's physical. So it's 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 re- it's a smaller group of players, but um, they are very effective. And it's like to have a third line like that. Um, that's encouraging. That's we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I guess it's on to my second good thing and i'm just trying to think what i was gonna, oh yeah well i was gonna i'm gonna go with their overall defensive effort this game bruce mm-hmm. and um heading into the game um i had written a post the headline mm-hmm. being edmonton aces must step up their defensive play for oilers to beat the o- los angeles kings because i was really disheartened 
by the play of a number of Oilers players. Not not all the Oilers, but um, on my on my crap list was Duncan Keith, Darnell Nurse, who was suspended this game, Evan Bouchard, Evander Kane, Yesipuli Yarvi, who I thought had a really good game tonight when he was out, Ryan McLeod, and Leon Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. I thought like these players were all <laughs> making, they were all struggling in the defensive zone, and it came together in Game Five where the Oilers had their worst game by far on defense in the series. They uh, gave up 21 grade A shots and 13, a subset of 13 five alarm shots. So that's compared to seven and four um, tonight. Now, the wow. Oilers actually had a, a, an equally or better, slightly better defensive game in game two when it was when they limited LA to five and four. This has got to be the goal for game seven is mm-hmm. to let's not forget this now that you're going back to home ice. Yeah. This this must be the same kind of defensive effort from the entire group of players, or they won't win. And mm-hmm. and it's as simple as that. The Oilers have got to play. This Oilers team is a good team, but it's not the '80s Oilers or the '70s Canadians or or whoever. They're, they they're they're not at that level in terms of dominance. So they must grind out victories in the defensive end by playing strong defensive hockey. And they did it tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Every single player, and I was really impressed with the the, the defensive pairings of CC and Kulak, mm-hmm. and I and um, and uh, Keith and Bouchard. Yeah. So um, you know, they, Nurse was out this game, but the truth is, Darnell Nurse has been struggling on defense this whole series because I think he's playing he's playing wounded, and maybe yep. maybe actually being out a game will help him heal up. Darnell Nurse, when he's healthy, would be their number one D man and a force on the ice, but he's not been able to play physical hockey. And um, some of his defensive reads have also been off. So, you know, it's, I already listed the players. I won't get into it any further than that. Right. Like I think, I think almost every one of those players today had a much better game on defense and came through for the team. So. He was really laboring in game five nurse. Yeah. And I think that, that, um, May even been the reason he didn't get the starting shift in overtime was that he was sucking wind so hard at the end of the third period. I, I was wondering at that point. But um, uh, getting the game off, I don't know. Did he even make the trip to L.A.? I guess I don't know, Bruce. Did, but but uh, just because he's uh, such an you know, important voice in the core leadership room uh, group. Uh, so you want to... Uh, have him around. That said, taking a dumb suspension is uh, had a you know an elimination game is uh, uh, not the best outcome. But anyway, the team responded in his absence. I thought Brett Kulak stepped up with a pretty strong game tonight. A couple of mistakes, but uh, uh, a few good plays, and he earned a assist. And uh, I thought a second assist uh, wasn't it he that uh, took the outside shot on the disallowed goal that. Uh, was uh, called back for goalie interference. Funny how that worked. Oilers uh, slide into the crease. Goalie interference on the Oilers. Kings slide into the crease. Slashing cool. penalty on Oilers goalie. And then uh, they called back a goal for... Uh, uh, I think they, they maybe should have challenged that. But, of course, if they lose the challenge, it's a power play for the Kings. But I, I would have thought that uh, they would have had a good chance of winning that game. Then again, it's the same refs making that call or making all the other calls. So it's hard to be too confident it would have gone Oilers' way. Well, who makes the call? Is it them or the is it the refs? 
It's the refs. On a, a coach's challenge, they look at their little 10-inch tablet and they make the call. Isn't that a conflict of interest? I mean, they've made the initial call. You'd think they're kind of wedded. They, they made yeah, the initial well, call. They're kind of wedded to, send to it. To, they used to send it to the war room, but when it's specifically a challenge, the call goes to the refs and they congregate around the penalty box and then one of them comes out and he announces. So that's that's my understanding is it's uh, the challenges are the refs or the linesman's call as the case may be. So. Oh, well. But anyway, um, back to your defense. I mean, one super play by uh, Cody Cece, who had two assists and plus two in this game, uh, was on the back track. And who was it? it? looked like the guy was behind him, and Cece actually caught up to the guy and stripped the puck off him. And it was one of the faster kings, maybe I follow. Um, and uh, uh, Cece came back and... and uh, uh, it was a it was a two on one sort of a you know for the guy one of the guys was going to get a really good shot and they wound up with nothing because CC did that and Duncan Keith David he was a completely different player tonight than he was in the last two games I thought he skated well I thought he anticipated well I thought he was in the way in the lanes and uh, uh, fairly um, fairly good with the puck not perfect but uh, he was on the puck. And it was stick on puck, as you like to say, uh, when Keith was out there. I mean, he's not a hard physical defenseman, but he is hard on the puck, and he was tonight. And I thought he was good. And he and Bouchard both bounced back with uh, with pretty solid games. And then, uh, of course, there's uh, uh, old uh, Krusty there who got uh, activated in Nurse's spot, and all he did was block four shots a couple of really good ones took a couple for the team as per usual that's uh that's uh that's crusty and he, uh, uh, he burst there was one moment in the third period on the on that penalty kill where cali had already launched at like a 95 whatever whatever that was and so puck goes back still. to cali oh. and there's chris russell this little guy skating right out it's got to be the loneliest moment in the world <laughs> you know you know this guy can just kill that puck and there you are there's chris russell he's doing it again he's skating right towards him it's like man that guy has guts i just i really like chris russell as a hockey player i just admire him you know the one of the smallest players in the nhl but um, just as, you know, he, and he does give up the zone. Like he lets them into the, the Oilers zone so he can protect the slot. Like he, he, he makes that trade off. And um, nonetheless, it's usually, it usually really works out because, you know, he consistently limits the goals against with this style of play. He's a very smart hockey player mm-hmm. and uh, he's fearless. Like he, he, he just, he is willing to, to take that puck. Impressive. Uh, and Philip Brobery, just to give him a shout out, three minutes and 15 seconds only, 16, I guess. Uh, credited for one block shot, a pretty good one. Uh, that was it for his stat line. But uh, McDavid went out of his way in the post-game interview to uh, to credit uh, Brobery. And I mean, partly that's just being a good ca- captain and giving the kid a shout out because he didn't have a huge role in this game. Uh, but he did do a pretty good job uh, uh uh, boxing out in front of his own net a couple of couple of shifts there and and uh, uh, he didn't make any sort of glaring mistakes unless you call the icing play in the yeah. third period and I mean that was just a pass that didn't connect he, he actually had the guy and he 
think I just skipped over its stick anyway. It was uh, nervous moments after that with the two rookies out there, McLeod and Broberry. And, of course, L.A. throws Kopitar and company over the boards, and uh, they win the draw, and you're sort of sitting back in your seat a little bit. Oh. I was going, Jay Woodcroft, <laughs> why did you have Philip Broberry on the ice? Well, Dave like, Manson that puts a demon out okay, there. But Dave yeah. Manson. But Why? Yeah, what, yeah. what was that all about? Like, I did not get that in the least, Bruce. Like, that just made no sense to me. And then when, yeah, then they could load it up after the ice and they just loaded it up against those players. McLeod's out there. And mm-hmm. these are not veteran hockey players. They're, anyway, it, it worked out. And, and Broberry held his own kind of, you know, um, they, they managed to get it out. Was I ever relieved when they got it out? Because like, and like, I really like Philip Broberry as a prospect, but I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, uh, I would have preferred that he stayed out, stayed on the bench in that moment. Are we at your bad thing? Are you? Are we no, uh, I still have a second good thing. What and, is your uh, second? Broberry. I mean, the nice thing is, I mean, having come out of that with the win, uh, this game will have been an excellent experience for him, even with those few five shifts that he got, just being there and actually. Sure. Getting a chance to play and getting put out there at a time when it's, you know, games on the line and surviving that, like, uh, just a little, you know, another brick in the wall, you know, in terms of building them up. Yeah. But anyway, uh, my second the good thing uh, is uh, the game-winning goal. And after L.A. tied it in the first minute of the third period, and it was 2-2, and you're sort of waiting for the other shoot a foot. I was, I was trying to think, who's going to kill us? Is it going to be Dustin Brown, my most hated LA King of all time, or is it going to be Andreas Athanasiu, a guy who's kind of in my bad books just because of stuff that happened? I don't I don't hate him. I just kind of hate the situation and stuff that he went through. Well, that's the kind of guy that's probably going to beat us on this team. And so I was, you know, I was fairly calm because I'm, I'm, I'm very fatalistic about playoffs. But uh, uh, the winning goal, and again, it was McDavid, and uh, uh, who led the rush into the zone, and he found Drysaddle on the on the uh, on the wing, and the play by Drysaddle was perfect, because uh, he had Trevor Moore shading over to him, and Drysaddle, I'm sure, knew what he was going to do with the puck the instant that he got it from McDavid, but rather than rush the pass, he just took that extra sort of. Not, not even with any great urgency, just sort of glided in a bit, glided over towards the boards, drew more to him, and then flipped this backhand sauce pass that just landed flat on the ice right into Tyson Berry's path. And by now, Moore is gone. He's committed to dry settle, and that whole face-off circle has opened up for Barry to walk in, pick his shot, and wire home a very nice wrist shot above the stick-side pad of Jonathan Quick to uh, put orders ahead to stay three to two, great shot by Barry and you know a good setup by the by the two Oilers stars. But the quality of the play by uh, Drysaddle uh, and and the pass that he made, but just the timing of it that was what really struck me was he, you know, it sort of delayed the pass to to suck the guy out of position. Very good player and Trevor Moore, but he Drysaddle took him out of the play and. Uh, Barry had his free shot, and he made a count. And, uh, just a beautiful three-way passing play. Even on one leg, like Leon Dreisaitl can pull off a pass like that. I, mm-hmm. I love McDavid's 
energy at that mm-hmm. moment in the game, his yes. ability like to suck it up and rush that puck one more time. Mm-hmm. And the deke, he just made a great deke in the center ice zone. And I loved his performance there. And Bruce, I, I see that play as a kind of a redemption play. And, and I don't know how you saw the the second goal, but um, I saw it as it was a typical Connor Leon Fubar special. Mm-hmm. You know, I've complained often in the past about when these guys are on the ice together, nobody knows who the center is and nobody knows who the winger is. It's almost like Woodcroft should say, okay, when you're going out there, whoever takes the face off, just keep it simple. You will be the center. You'll be F1 and the other guy will be the winger. Because the puck, what happens is the king brings this. I'm moving on to my bad thing here. Right. The kings move the puck into the Oilers' end, and it goes into the corner on the on the left. And Leon is F1 at that point. Leon's back. He's covering. And then all of a sudden, McDavid decides, well, he's going to come back too. And they're you know they're both now in the corner. They're both right. there. And what Leon has to do at that moment is recognize Connor is now F1. He's lower than me. He's battling on the puck. I've got to back off and cover the point. Doesn't happen. So Connor loses the puck, and then Yamamoto loses the puck. And both Leon and Connor start chasing that puck at that moment. They both start doing what they do. Mm -hmm. They're great hockey players. They watch the puck. They chase the puck. Usually they win the puck. This time they they didn't. And it goes, (laughs) the pass goes over to the point, and it's a wide open point. This is like the mm-hmm. Stetcher goal the other night. It's a wide yeah. open point because players were confused. In that one, that one it was Dry Settle and McLeod. This time it was Dry Settle and McDavid about who's supposed to be F1 and who's supposed to cover the point. So no one's covering the point. And Connor finally makes comes late and re, and goes out there. And Keith Keith has Keith is drawn out there because McDavid isn't there. He's mm-hmm. got to go cover that. Like someone's got to go out there. So he's taken out of the slot where he should be. Because McDavid and Drysettle have, between them, done this. And then the puck goes back cross scene. And there's no center now. Now no one's up for right. it. There's nobody there. So well, this is one this king is, there. <laughs> yeah, except for the king goal scorer. This is such, Bruce, this was such a typical McDavid Drysettle foobar defensive play that we have mm-hmm. seen for years now. And I really, really, really found it frustrating to see this in the third period of a game. That they they need to win this series. They needed to win. They need to win this game, and they have they're still making the same kind of mistake. And I, I was really ticked off at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had the redemption of you know they are such fantastic hockey players on defense when they when they put their minds to it. It's just when you get them out there together sometimes like something goes wrong because they're just I don't know peas in a pod. They think the game too much alike perhaps, and they start playing it alike, playing the same position at the same time. That's Prince my bad. made a pretty good shot. He sure did. That guy, well, that guy's, wide that guy's really good. Isn't yeah, he? Yeah. He's up and coming, right? Toronto traded him away too. Isn't he on the long list of really good players that Toronto traded away? Like uh, Sean Dirtsey, Grenstrom. And, and Moore. Mason Marchment. Tre- Trevor Moore. Trevor all Moore. three of the LA Kings that came from Toronto in two trades. More came, a, in, more came in the Jack Campbell trade, and the other two came in the Jake Muzzin trade. Was that the genius who made the the uh, the the, uh, the what's his name the the GM there? What's his name? I can't remember Kyle his Dubas, name. Right? Kyle Dubas. Yeah, did he make those trades, or was it the other the previous? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe so. And I mean, Toronto got value out of those trades. I mean, Jack Campbell's their starting goalie. 
Fair enough. And, uh, I mean, Jake Muzzin's Jake been Muzzin's. a good player for them. But, yeah. uh, you know, Kings traded proven veterans for youth, and they got three young guys that are now able to help their team. So Are they ever helping their team? <laughs> I'll yeah. say all three like, of those, those guys. Those are three of their best good. players. Like, wow. All three of those guys have been good. Yeah, and so to be fair to, to the Dubas, the Toronto GM, they if you get a starting goalie out of a trade and he's a, and he's a decent starting goalie, that's a pretty big. That's it's kind of hard to complain about that. I don't know where Muzzin plays on their depth chart um, at this point, but um, he has been a good player as well. So I'm being a little overly critical. He, he just gets he's just gotten praised through the roof though, and uh, you know maybe not anymore in Toronto. I don't know what the situation is now. Probably the. The let's see where the where let's see what happens on Sunday morning, shall we? Indeed, Indeed. they'll be either it'd be similar as in Edmonton. They'll either all be getting uh, getting uh, it handed to them, or else they'll be uh, heroes. You know, there's no in between. They're in a game seven, just like the orders are. Toronto nearly got there tonight, but they. They took a phantom penalty in the third period that took put them two men short and Tampa tied it and then won it in overtime. That's what do you mean a phantom penalty? Uh, they were killing a penalty and they called um, uh, David Camp for high sticking and his stick hit the guy in the shoulder and the guy did one of these Claude Lemieux style face dives threw oh. his face back and the ref fell for it and they got Tampa got a two man advantage for like a minute and 40 or 50. It was a long, long five-on-three, and they scored on it. And, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, it was a tough way to lose uh, for Toronto, but uh, they have a chance at redemption, a home game in Game 7, just like the Oilers. But uh, I kind of felt there's no way Toronto, when they do finally win a series, it's not going to be in six or five or four. It's definitely going to be drama right to the bitter end. I'm frankly expecting overtime in that game too. I'm not really rooting against them like I normally do. Like I don't like there. It's a that's a very good group of hockey players. So it's a good team. Right? Lots of guys yeah, to like on that team, and and uh, lots of good players to respect, and. Uh, uh, lots of people that just totally hate the Toronto with every fiber of their being because of perceived media bias and and uh, cocky fans and so on. But it's just they, you know, they get more attention than other teams because they have a bigger fan base because of population and history and all that stuff. But the Blues whatever. beat the youth. The Blues beat the Wild, I see. I'm glad that the Wild are out. Ousted the Wild. I'm glad the Wild are out. I just did not want to see the Oilers play the Wild. So, you know what I mean? I think you know what I I mean. Okay, Bruce, what's your bad thing? Well, my bad thing is the injury to to, uh, Leon, which appears to be uh, fairly serious. It kind of reminds me of uh, what happened to Mark Messier at the end of the... uh, uh, Battle of Alberta series in 1991, where he uh, uh, he banged up his his knee, and he was sort of skating around on one leg in the next series, even you know, and the, and uh, uh, he just sort of n- never was able to recover his full magnitude as a star player, uh, you know, captain of the Oilers that year, and. Leon's been carrying something for a while. It's been pretty obvious, and the Kings were targeting him tonight. That also was fairly obvious. And the NHL referees, who in theory are tasked with protecting all the players, and especially the league stars, 
uh, were doing no such thing. And that too was obvious. And I became quite incensed at the refs a couple of times. Uh, uh, Mikey Anderson, uh, the guy that Bounce New just had off the ice the other night, tried to do the same thing to Leon and the scum. I mean, David went to the net, the puck was loose. He took a little jab at it. And the Kings just went after McDavid and Drysaddle and, and uh, Drysaddle. Like they'd been instructed down. to do. Yeah, yeah. and Drysaddle got taken down hard. And I was yelling at the Oilers' D-men to go in there and get involved in the scrum. Who cares if you lose a face-off inside the zone? For you know, usually the D-men are smart to stay out of the scrums, but when it's your stars that are getting targeted, get in there. I would say, uh, I, I don't mind that 50-foot penalty or whatever it is. Get in Good there. Advice, but, uh, Bruce. but uh, anyway, Leon got taken down hard there, and he limped off. <sighs> he went down the tunnel, and he was clearly sort of favoring that leg, and the Kings kept on targeting him and it seemed it uh, with uh, a few other shots. Anderson cross-checked uh, McDavid or at least high-sticked him with maybe a one, one-handed one cross-check in the face. That got ignored. Uh, I tweeted at one point of wondering if Mikey Anderson has diplomatic immunity or something because there doesn't seem to be any penalties called on that guy and he's a really rugged, tough, miserable son of a... Yeah, he's a good player. Uh, and he is, yeah, I mean, he, he's a rugged D-man, and you probably love him if you're on your team, and you'd hate him if he's on the other team. And guess what? He's on the other team, so yeah. draw your conclusions. And then with the boat, I really hated this, and I a little bit hated that Drysaddle was even on the ice at this point with the game sort of in the bag at 4-2. With 15 seconds left in the third period, uh, Drysaddle got, went down once along the boards, and he got up, and the puck came to him. And 89, Rasmus Kupari came at Drysaddle from behind and he went right after his left knee from behind, knee, knee on knee, except for it was from behind, right? And and it was a, a sweeping leg check and down went Leon again for a several time in this game. And if you noticed at the end of the game when they panned the Oilers bench, that Jay Woodcroft, instead of sort of being happy in victory, was yelling some vitriol at the referees. And it was because of that cheap shot that also went uncalled. And indeed, the Kings got one stinking penalty in this entire game. And I thought they were seriously the aggressors in, in a couple of the scrums. And there was a few that didn't get called and a couple of pretty iffy ones that went the other way. The one, the one the Oilers took on, uh, Renuge got a cross-checking penalty on Grundstrom. Well, I guess technically it was cross-checking, but as Kevin Bieksa said in the intermission, you don't usually see players go up when they've been cross-checked, but he did this big forward swan dive, and the ref just bit and, and called it. And of course, they scored to make a 2-1 on that one. And anyway, that's the, the bigger concern here is Leon and how, you know, how hurt is he? And when you get in the playoffs, it's a war of attrition. Well, if your star players start carrying around, uh, uh, you know, aches and pains and, you know, legit injuries, and now it appears that Nurse and Drysaddle are both sort of significantly hampered by physical issues. Yeah. And hopefully they'll have enough in the tank to uh, win game seven, but... Uh, That'll kind of put them on the wrong foot against Cal. Uh, I'm guessing Calgary in uh, in round two. I think I could read uh, Woodcroft's lips as he was mm-hmm. screaming at the. He said, "Billions of blue blistering barnacles." Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Bruce, uh, we're at our numbers. Mm. My number is zero. This was um, Evan Bouchard and Duncan Keith. At even mm-hmm. strength, they both kept a clean sheet, which means nice. they na- made not one major mistake between them on a grade A shot against. Um, this pairing is critical to the Oilers because they, they're the second pairing um, after CC and Kulak or CC and Nurse. Um, Cody CC has been just utterly brilliant this playoffs in the defensive end, but and on the other hand, Bouchard and Keith have, have really struggled. They have been the most likely players to make heading into this game. They're the most likely players on defense to make a major mistake on a great shot against Keith with ten at even strength uh, so far this series, and Bouchard with nine. Cece, by contrast, has made had made heading into the game one. One such mistake, according to our analysis, video analysis. So he's been playing out of this world's solid defensive hockey, where these other guys have been like, they're struggling. But this game, Bruce, they were they were they kept okay. it simple. Uh, they were smart, simple, uh, forceful when they needed to be. Um, played solid fundamental hockey, and they they kept that clean sheet. So uh, impressive play in the defensive end by uh, Evan Bouchard and Duncan Keith. Yeah, you're like the zero, eh? Yeah, you do. Really like it. I really like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I thought Bouchard kept his composure pretty good in this game. Yeah. And uh, when you know when he's on his game, that's uh, you know that's his hallmark. And he's not necessarily the fastest, but he gets good touches on the puck, you know, and and uh, uh, he gets a stick in good places and and uh, gets the puck going in the right direction. I, I saw. Some of that tonight. Not seen much of his shooting game. He's a little bit yeah. cautious, is he not? That's mm-hmm. that's what yeah, I'm assuming. He so Keith played seventeen forty four at even strength and Bouchard fifteen thirty three. CC was at nineteen fifty five mm-hmm. uh, at even strength. So and Kulak was at eighteen eleven. So CC and Kulak were the top pairing. You know, I would I. I think I, I overstated a little bit, you know, Darnell, that he has not played well. He's he's been fine, like he's been okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't, I want to retract a little bit, go back a little bit on my, you know, I, I think he's been okay. He just hasn't been himself. He hasn't right. been a physical hockey player, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think he would have really, he could be as ornery as Mikey Anderson any day of the week, and I think he would have been in this playoffs. And the owners have missed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't really, except for the odd headbutt, can't provide that kind of physical intimidation mm-hmm. i i think on that headbutt bruce uh, he he must have been hacked on his in like wherever he's injured he, someone must have slashed him right there because mm-hmm. he i don't see him making that play otherwise it was just like one of those like you know primal assaults on somebody else where you just lose your mind if if he had been in it like remember mark messier's excuse when he would when he would go mm-hmm. berserk on someone, well, I, I don't, or it was McSorty who said, I don't, I don't really remember. I just, I, I can't remember what happened. And um, <laughs> that's what Darnell Nurse would have to say. He just saw red and he doesn't remember. He's got nothing in his head. I think he's got frustration because he's not being able to play at the level he wants to be able to play. So that's probably uh, lending into it. And when somebody's hacking at him and he's already hurting and. So on, I know I thought he was just trying to chest up with the guy, but he did come in at an angle. And of course, anyway, 
I thought he was trying to headbutt him. He paid. He paid. Uh, he paid the price, and he missed this game. It must have been agony for him watching. This oh yeah, game. yeah. Imagine so, that. That happened. The same thing happened to Josh Archibald last year. He took a dumb penalty in suspension, and he wound up uh, missing the elimination game. And so, anyway, at least in Darnell's case, he gets a chance to redeem himself in uh, uh, in Game Seven, and hopefully going forward after that. So. What is your number, Bruce? Yeah, okay, I will go there. Uh, my number is 18, uh, and that is the number of consecutive playoff games the Edmonton Oilers have played uh, without a win unless they scored at least six goals. This is a long, long streak that goes back to the Anaheim series five years ago. Holy they won moly. game two in Anaheim, two to one. And then they lost games three, four, five, and seven, and they won games six, seven to one. And the other games they lost three close ones, uh, two in overtime, two to one in game seven. Uh, then they got swept. No, they lost three games to one to Chicago, where they won six to three, and the other games, two of them, they lost by one goal. Uh, and then last year against Winnipeg, of course, they got swept, and. Uh, didn't score all that many goals. And then this year against L.A., they won two games in the series, but six to nothing and eight to two. So if it was a wide-open blowout, the Oilers would win. But if it was a close game, they had a, just a horrific stretch. They, they lost 10 straight one-goal games in the playoffs and six in a row in overtime. Now, technically, both those streaks are still intact because this, in the end, was a two-goal game. Well, in by my way of counting it, I, I really like to... You know, when you when the margin of victory is one plus empty net goals, to me that's really a, a one goal win, and this was. But it was just so nice to see them, you know, two two in the third period, and you're just sort of waiting for the other shoe to fall and for the other guys to score and for the orders to never get it back, because that's been the pattern for five years. And uh, tonight they uh, turned that around. So uh, that was one. I, I posted all those stats in my post today and I was saying geez I just hope this is one of those ones where it gets out there and then immediately because I do this a lot I say something and of course the opposite happens the very next game but I wanted it to because I didn't think they're going to score six goals in game six and six more in game seven so they better find other ways to win if they ever want to succeed in the playoffs you're not going to score six very often well Bruce I think this goes a little bit like I know this is a very unpopular critique and it's Mark Spector's made it about mm-hmm. the need for the Oilers' best players, McDavid and Dreisaitl, to play better defensive hockey, mm-hmm. and I and I think, I think I, in retrospect, I think Spectre, I mean, we all we made the same critique ourselves as on a list of things that had to happen, but I do think it is it has been an absolutely critical thing, in terms because it's not they play so many minutes, they set the tone for the team, and um, they in close games. One goal. If they're not, if they're right. not making their plays, that's how you lose. So I, I, and I'm not saying all of those games were their fault. They, that's not the case. But for the orders to win those games, these two, these two hockey players must play strong defensive hockey. That's starting to happen. It, it, Drysaddle struggled this this series, I think, because largely because of injury. I'm going to suggest McDavid though has played outstanding defensive hockey most of the series. He was he was beaten on the overtime goal. Uh, he was beaten on a goal tonight. 
no one's like even the best defensive players aren't perfect, but I do think he has really, really raised his game um, and uh, and led the Oilers defensively uh, in this series. And that's why they were able to win a, a close game like this, I believe. Yeah, well, my criticism of the big stars in those situations is that they weren't able to produce the goal that would put Oilers ahead or win a game in overtime. I mean, defense is a team thing, and you know, if they didn't make a mistake, someone else would make the mistake. Yeah, and it would, you know, it would be a turnover or a soft goal or, you know, deflected lit- in from the point. things. Yeah, California. Yeah, all, all, all those things. So uh, uh, tonight they did produce the passes that set up the uh, the winning goal. And the rest of the team did hunker down, and Smith did make some big saves down the stretch on that late power play. And uh, uh, a guy that we haven't mentioned, I don't think at all in this podcast, who had a great game tonight, Evander Kane. He did. Uh, came through for him with two official goals, uh, a third that was waved off, uh, an assist, plus three, six shots on net, four hits. That's a pretty good game. Uh and I bet he gets an eight from Kurt. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but you know they 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 had players contributing in different ways, defensively, offensively, uh, on the penalty kill, what have you. I mean, that's how you win in the playoffs. Is you you need your team to come together and have different players doing what they can to uh, uh, to bring you to the finish line. And they were just so frustrating. I mean, 10 one-goal losses in a row. For that to happen at any time in any season, even if your team is bad, you're not going to lose 10 one-goal games in a row normally. And yet this was a five-year run over four different playoff series where they lost two or three one-goal games in each series uh, without ever winning one. So that had to change, and it changed tonight. So McDavid leads the playoffs in scoring now, 12 points in six games. Had a Brad Marchand, who has 11 points in six games. Mm-hmm. Evander Kane leads the playoffs, tied for the lead in playoffs goal scoring uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Jake Gensel, and Kane, each with seven goals. And Leon Dreisaitl, who I think has been playing injured this series and mm-hmm. definitely tonight has eight points in six games. He's 10th. Mm-hmm. In playoff scoring, he's done most of his damage on the power play. Leon has. He's been, he's been able to get a shot off. Even on the power play, though, I thought tonight he was struggling to get off his shot, like with the with the requisite force that he usually has. So, we'll see. I, I expect when, he'll play next game. But uh, went eleven and four on the dot, though. And you know what? Nuge went eleven and two on the dot. When's the last time we saw that? Nuge so the Oilers actually had the edge, forty-one. 41 out of 74, which is a lot of face-offs. There's a lot of stoppages in this game. Nuge is playing physical hockey. He was hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's playing the best hockey of his NHL career right now. Mm-hmm. Let's leave it there, Bruce. We'll get back together Saturday night, I guess. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, game seven. Game seven. Game seven. Toronto and Tampa Bay first, then Oilers, and then there's another game seven, so... Only one series of the four got decided tonight. And uh, Boston and Carolina, they've been a homer series. And the seventh game is in Carolina. But we'll see if they can finish the job. But three in one day, that's uh, not very common. So Saturday should be uh, fun, we hope. Interesting for sure. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone.
And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>